Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. And we're back again for another episode of the Colored Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly mm. podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yes, colorful backgrounds. And, and guys, guess what? Welcome to another episode of the Summer Short Series. A series where we choose a couple of less traditional literary works and that you can listen to while you work your summer job as an ice cream woman or a lifeguard. Hey, as ice cream women. <laughs> oh, I thank actually, God. I actually, when I was a teenager, one of my really good friends was an ice cream woman. Like she, that was her job. She like drove around in the ice cream truck. Actually, I had two friends at different times who drove the ice cream truck. And one time she just rolled up in our neighborhood and was like, y'all want to get in this ice cream truck? And we're like, hell yeah, we do. Wait, I actually really love that. Like what? It's so dope. <laughs> But you know what no one tells you? Ice cream trucks are incredibly warm, very hot, because the refrigerators have a lot of heat. So you think you're going to be cool, but you're not. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, where does one sit? Do you sit next to the ice cream? Or is it like there's like secret seating compartments? There is nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to sit uh, in an ice cream truck. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but on the plus side, you do have free ice cream. So there is. Oh, wait, so if you're in the truck, you get free ice cream? Like the I bitches mean, like, can just like. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got free ice cream. You're right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> I wonder, like, is it is it really all cr- like cracked up to be in terms of like the reception? Like, do kids really like go up like that? Because I feel like I don't know. That's like a age old trope. I'm not sure if like in these like millennial times, mm. like, do kids really, like are, the, are, are are ice cream trucks even still around? Like, I haven't seen one in like forever. Yeah, like are people really checking for ice cream trucks like that? I right. feel like. I feel like kids did come up and they were excited, but it wasn't the same way that it probably was in like the 60s when like everyone was running out to an ice cream truck. I feel like kids were like, yes, I want some ice cream. And their parents were like, oh, no, you could die. You know, so there was like, <laughs> is this like, vegan? Like, right. you know, just like whatever. <laughs> so like, this is, we could just go to the grocery store now and you could buy more ice cream for cheap. <laughs> like, right. <fair. laughs> but no, there was still like that. they like. <laughs> Like, they, like, made an economic argument. It's just like, <laughs> girl, what? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Keep going. I, but, no, I just, I, I think we as the teenagers selling ice cream were having a bomb-ass time. So, there is that. Oh, that um, and there uh, were some kids. They were excited. It was it was dope. That's cute. Well, yes, I hope you all are all, you know, like, <laughs> enjoying your ice cream-related jobs or yes. grocery store ice cream. <laughs> yes. But, hey, um, Marcy, before we jump yes. into our readings for today, I mm-hmm. have a question okay what's up okay so uh, the book we'll be talking about today has a little bit of a horror element so Mm. i wanted to ask you what horror movie (laughs) would you least want to be in um Mm -hmm. like would you rather be in a supernatural or would you rather be in a serial killer movie okay none of those options sound good but like which one would you would you really really not want to do got you okay and if you were in one, your least favorite one, what would be your escape plan? Mm. Okay, so funny enough, I think like serial killer suspense movies, I find those like much scarier than like, I guess your like typical scary movies. But honestly, I would low key rather be in a supernatural scary movie. And here's why I feel like 
typically the like fear factor in it is that like people don't trust their intuition so like you know people will be like in a haunted house or like there's like you know some possessed doll that's like clearly tormenting everyone mm. and they're like oh it's just a doll like whatever he's like <laughs> people like create their own like scary situations by just like being stupid and like not like 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 me again i just i don't know maybe it's the ancestors but like if i saw a doll like like if if a doll was facing the window, I look away and then I turn around and that bitch is looking at me. I'm moving out. Like yes. it's like the movie would be over. Like I'm done. Like it's just like the first like instance of paranormal activity. I'm like, oh no, this either I'm like Not either today. this doll has to go or really, actually, girl, I'm a go because honestly, like girl, you seem real comfortable. And you know what? If I like throw you outside and burn you alive, you know, then I don't know. Like that's about all types of energy. So I'm just like, you right. know what? Let me be in a super matching movie so I can just like relocate basically um, <laughs> just like deal with it that way um okay so i guess in that sense oh wait, wait sorry but your question was well what would i least want to be in so i guess in that case what i would least want to be in is yeah like a real like kind of like a real life scenario serial mm. killer type of movie because like that shit it's like actually or even to be more specific those movies that are almost have you read the book um and then there were none by um agatha christie no, I have not. So it's like this book where basically there's like, it's like a dinner party, right? Where it's like, there's, I think in total 10 people and like, they all kind of come from like different walks of life. They like are all mm. mysteriously invited to this like dinner party thing. Um, and then basically one by one, they all start kind of killing each other. It's essentially like clue, but in the form of a book. So there's someone who like is basically killing all of them. And so like the reason, is, yeah, right. So the reason why it's called and then there were none is because like eventually it kind of like leads to like basically just like one or two people being left. And then, you know, they have to figure out, like, what happened or whatever. Mm. Um, so I think a movie like that is just, like, a lot because... Or, yeah, which is would just be a lot because it's, like, one, the shit is low-key realistic. Like, humans kill each other all the fucking time. Two, you're, like, isolated. Like, in, in, in scenarios like this, usually, like, you're in some kind of, like, mansion or, like, manor and you, like, can't get out. And so it's just kind of one of those things where it's, like, the claustrophobia is a huge effect. And then it's just, like people start getting tense and anxious and it's just like it's just yeah a lot so i would say i would at least want to be in a movie like that and honestly if i were in a movie like that my escape plan would just be honestly i don't think white people try hard enough to escape things like they're like the door's <laughs> locked and i'm like you know what like can get through a door and axe get guess where there's where i'm like get you something like i'm mm. a, like girl if i have to take a goddamn butter knife and like carve my <laughs> way through this bitch i will do whatever it takes you know what i mean like i'm just like i'm not gonna sit here and get got on some preventable shit like i just i cannot allow this so Ain't i'll be it, busting through windows i'm like bitch we on the third floor but you know what a broken leg is still a leg on a bitch that's still alive you know what i mean like it's like i would rather that <laughs> I can see you, Marcy, like literally everyone's like, how do we get out? And you like run and like grab a chair and just like, <laughs> lunge it out the window, into the window until it breaks open. No, I would absolutely do some shit like that. And it probably wouldn't even be called for. Like, it probably be like a really logical way of leaving. Like, I was like, oh, just like go through, like go to like the lower level and there's like a very much open door. But I'm just like, oh no, girl. Like I have to, yeah, like I would be so, I would be so extra. And the thing is like, I'm loud too. So I feel like I would just like get got first. So like really time would be of the essence. Anyway. What do you think? Um, first of all, I was just going to comment on the fact that, yes, why are people always going to mansions or manors or, or cabins <laughs> that are just so far from the rest of society? Hello! There's a reason we live in groups. Right. It's to avoid issues like this. So that's the first issue. But um, So I completely agree with you. For me, this is kind of a weird take. But mm. The most terrifying thing for me is alien abduction, which I don't know if that's really a horror genre mm. but it, i think it goes in with the supernatural but 
I feel like alien abductions are worse for this reason. In supernatural stories, you know, you go get yourself a priest, a rabbi, a Buddhist, a right. monk, whoever. Like, Girl, somebody. <laughs> right, somebody. They come in, they put some holy water, they get some beads, they say a prayer, whatever. And then mm-hmm. they tell you what you got to do to get rid of this ghost person. You know, serial killers. Oh, it's a human. Okay, I got to go. I just got to leave. I just right. don't got to be around you. Perfect. Aliens. I don't, I don't understand aliens. Like when they're right. like, oh, you just got alien abducted. I'm like, how am I supposed to? They just came in my room and took me away. How am I supposed to prevent that? How am I supposed to prevent you zip doodling into my room, picking me up and taking me on your spaceship? And it's not like you can like, no one know, like no one believes you. Oh, absolutely not. Right. So you can't even like go to a priest and be like, hey, I got abducted by aliens. They'd be like, I don't know. Get some holy water. And you're like, this is not a <laughs> situation. <laughs> And so I just, that one is terrifying to me. What would I do if I was in that situation? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> now you're in space. Let me try to break a window open. Then I get like sucked out into the vacuum of space <laughs> and there's nothing for me to do. Uh, I just, and like, I, just I don't know, like death. <laughs> right. Like, it's just like a, so oh people my. are like, oh, don't you want to, did you want to read about more alien stuff? I'm like, I do not. I do not. I do not. Unless it's like a Star Trek level Spock type of alien situation. I'm going to call it. I do not want to be abducted by aliens. No, that is actually real shit. Yeah. Aliens. It's like, it's so funny. I remember I was actually listening to a podcast episode recently about a couple that like back in like, I think it was like the sixties or seventies. Like they alleged that like they were low key kidnapped by aliens. Um, mm. And it was like, it was like, it was, it was interesting too. Cause it was an, inter- and it was, it was an interracial couple. Uh, this like black man and a white woman and like essentially like they were like driving home one night and then yeah essentially like they were like yeah like we saw this like huge like this like large beam of light coming from like overhead but it like wasn't it wasn't a plane it was like some weird like saucer ufo looking type shit and then like that shit landed and then basically like our car stopped working like all their shit just stopped working and they're like in the middle of nowhere and basically like one of the aliens like opened the car door grabbed the guy and just like took him away and like i don't know if the woman was abducted too i think she was too but basically both of them like blacked out and then just like Mm. and were just like gone for like eight hours and then by the time they got home they were like yeah we like got home like they're coming back from a trip they got home like eight to ten hours after they were supposed to so like it's not like like, the abduction was hella long but they were both just like and so they like tried to like explain to therapists and be like oh like i think we're like abducted by aliens but even the therapists were like oh girl oh girl it's a lot like I don't know if I'm like qualified. Is this a metaphor for your interracial relationship? (laughs) No. (laughs) Right. They're like, I don't know. Don't you think like if y'all just weren't together, maybe like aliens would be like less pissed? And they're like, wow, really interesting how you're like inserting human prejudice right now. But anyway, um, (laughs) yeah. So really interesting stuff. I don't know. I believe in all that shit. I believe in all types of like extraterrestrial. Like I just, I just believe in all of it. So I'm just like, you know what? Like, I just think it's really arrogant to think, oh, there there can't be any other form of life mm. but us. Like what? Like girl. <laughs> and also, how depressing would that be if we are really the oh my god in this whole <laughs> Could universe. You imagine? In this whole universe. <laughs> right, come on. But let us take a quick break and then yes, we can jump right into our discussion of infidel. We're back. Um, 
So thank you everyone for listening to that riveting discussion of <laughs> what horror movies we would least like to be in. So the reason why we asked that question, uh, or rather why Akko asked me that question, is because like Akko mentioned, this week we're going to be discussing Infidel, which is essentially a, a comic book written by um, these two creators slash editors um, named Pisha Shote Campbell and Via Rubia um, Powell. And so essentially the reason why we chose this book is because it's kind of it was kind of giving us like Get Out vibes, low key. Like it's like mm. NPR like really recommended this book because it's like it's a horror comic but like also in that horror it like brings in this discussion of like racism and like prejudice and so we're like oh like okay like this could be like an interesting sort of take on like the horror genre um you know kind of like incorporating some supernatural elements um some like you know actual terrifying like type shit with you know everyday sort of like horrible things that we all kind of go through um so yeah so we thought it'd be like kind of an interesting intersection so to jump into the you know the usual plot summary the story centers around a young Pakistani-American woman named Aisha Hassan, who grew up in New Jersey, but she currently lives in New York City with her fiancé, Tom's mother, whose name is Leslie. Um, and Tom has a daughter named Chris, who's from, like, another relationship. So so right off the bat, um, Aisha is living with Leslie, Chris, and Tom. And you kind of you come to find out that like she sort of has like an estranged relationship with her mother because Aisha's Muslim and her mom it doesn't really approve of the fact that she's dating someone who isn't Muslim. And so like that like they're like their her relationship with Tom has like caused like a lot of tension there. And it's interesting because the book starts off like the first pages is basically of this dream of Aisha. Basically, she's like sleeping um, and recalling this like really creepy time where she like went on a vacation and like left meat outside Ooh, yeah. and it turned gray. And it was just like, girl, what Ugh. the fuck? That's nasty as shit. Um, but basically, while she's recalling this memory, there's like this like demon thing. <laughs> like, basically, like like being the big spoon behind her she's just like yo what the entire fuck and she like wakes right. up it's the thing is like this is very symptomatic of like what Aisha's life has been like recently like she's been having these like visions and dreams of like these like horrible creatures like just being around mm. her that have been like literally terrorizing the dog shit out of her so like this is kind of like the mental state she's been in at the you know right. sort of recently but we're not sure if it's a dream it, it's not clear at the very beginning if this is a dream or this is really happening exactly and so yeah so it's kind of like those 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 lines are a little bit a little bit blurred but essentially where the narrative story begins is um is, is, is a cute little scene where like chris aisha and tom's mom leslie are all just like chatting about star wars and making like a star wars cake really quick aside chris is like smooth what like six maybe yeah. seven and like she's like, like oh this yeah. kid knows too much it's like, it's, like referencing wars. all these like star wars things and i'm like little girl you were born in like what 2013 like, what right. the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> like i was actually like yeah like i was like girl i don't even know this much about star wars like homest um i was like i gotta put this book down it's not believable anymore. exactly <laughs> but basically so so they're just having a little cute conversation about star wars and um aisha and leslie get into this conversation where um basically it ended with leslie saying something to the effect of oh you know grog I, I you know i have to teach you how to make my you know super famous like ham recipe so tom at this moment walks in and like instant beef was just like oh my god mom you're so fucking inconsiderate like are you serious like, da, 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 like goes off at the mouth um Which and i i was i was like do what people just yell at their parents i, I don't, think <laughs> they do i think white people can like, just like on. i th- i 
literally, Akko, I could be 79 years of age. And if I ever even thought of talking to my right. mama like that, like, it would just, my mom could, like, I mean, God forbid, like, if, even if my mom wasn't around anymore, like, I would even, like, in bed, <laughs> like, I would never, ever, like, I, like, no. Anyway, so basically, Tom screaming at his mom, and I'm just like, oof, just the, the, the caucasity. But anywho. Um, Aisha's like, nah, bro. No, Aisha was shook. She was like, oh, girl, I have to defend. She's like, you making me defend this white woman at this point. So basically, mm-hmm. she goes outside to Tom. Uh, <laughs> look at us get distracted and shit. Anyway, so she, she goes outside to Tom, and she, yeah, she goes outside to him, and she's like, yo, what the fuck? Like, what was that all about? Whatever, whatever. And then Tom was basically saying that, like, he accuses mom of essentially pretending that, like, she forgot, quote unquote, that, like, you know, Aisha doesn't eat ham, or really more generally, she doesn't eat pork because she's Muslim, and if essentially being kind of manipulative. Because back in the day, like, there was an incident where Chris, who I guess is, like, Aisha's soon-to-be stepdaughter was like playing with like one of Aisha's like hijabs and like her mom and like Leslie um, saw this and was like, Oh my God, don't play with that. Like, you know, women who wear things like this or like, you know, let their mm. husbands do terrible things. It basically like said some like racist, Islamophobic, horrible shit. And so Tom, after hearing about all, uh, about all of that was like, you know, she, and, Oh, and then there are other times where like Aisha will be like praying and like Leslie will just like step into the room and be like, Oh girl, oops, didn't know you were praying. You know, just like shit like that where it's just mm. kind of like, okay girl, I think you're low key being shady, but like, you being like you're you're doing that like thing where you're like oh like had no idea so like I just kind of gave her the benefit of the doubt it's like you know what like it's not that deep whatever whatever later on Aisha talks to her friend Medina who's like this black woman who's also Muslim who's known Aisha since they were about like eight years old because their moms were friends and so the two of them are really close friends and so like Medina was kind of like yeah girl I kind of agree with Tom on this one like I don't know Leslie be giving me weird vibes girl just mm. just be careful but you know whatever it is what it is. That all kind of happens, right? So that kind of lays the backdrop. Okay, Tom doesn't really fuck with his mom. Medina low-key is fucking with Tom in that opinion. Um, Aisha's, like, I guess giving cookies to white people. Um, so around this point, so Tom, like, is, like, a super hipster. and basically goes off to, like, I think it was, like, upstate New York to, like, film, like, this, like, indie film. And so while he's gone, Aisha's dreams just get, like, low-key worse and worse. Like, she has this dream where, dream, quote-unquote, but, like, it isn't really a dream low-key, where basically, mm. like, she sees this older man. It's like almost like the yeah, like the ghost of this older man who was like is calling her like just horrible shit, like just solely out of yeah. her name. And um and like at one point he's talking to her and like his eye falls out and it's like disgusting. And, and so basically she keeps, trying to, she keeps trying to be like, This is just a dream. This is just a dream. This is just a dream. And like as she's saying that, the eye like falls out of his eye socket onto her face. And I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> like literally gagged. Um, so basically she's just like, Yeah, so bitches are like losing their eyes and it's wild. So basically, like the old man and so the thing is like before Tom left, he um it was really interesting and I, I actually loved this element and we could talk about that a little bit later. But basically they do this really great thing where sometimes they'll like transpose conversations that were previously had by other characters over scenes that are currently happening so it's kind of like that cinematic technique where it's like you kind of hear it's like a previous conversation is kind of informing how you're seeing a current scene Mm, and so like they're using this tactic where basically while Aisha's like seeing all the shit with the ghost they're kind of like using the text of a previous conversation between Tom and Medina where Tom was like you know I'm going out of town or whatever just keep an eye on Aisha you know I'm worried about her she's been having these like weird like sort of dreams recently I just want to make sure she's okay um and Medina was like oh but don't worry like you know Aisha she's a fighter like you know I'm not really worried about her whatever whatever so basically she Medina wasn't lying because like at one point the ghost thing starts to like kind of lunge at her so she grabs like a steak knife and just like stabs at it but then like realizes that Leslie is actually like kind of where the ghost was like where she thought the ghost was but luckily she didn't actually stab Leslie well she kind of stabbed Leslie but it didn't like penetrate any skin it just kind of like stabbed right. like it, it was like she was wearing like a wide sleeved thing and it just like stabbed one of the sleeves but it was like fine 
And so Leslie was like, oh, no, like, girl, it's fine. You know, like, like it is what it is. And I'm just like, again, like, I'm like, if someone just like, I mean, I mean, I get it. Aisha, you're going through it, but sis, like, you can't Ooh. be stabbing bitches. Like, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so basically, like, so that whole thing happens. And so, like, Aisha's like, low-key, I just kind of want to, like, keep it under the rug. Like, I don't really want to, like, tell Tom about this because, like, you know, he already wants to move out. But, like, Aisha's right. really bent on, like, trying to stay, especially since, so essentially what's giving Aisha this kind of, like, conviction of staying in this apartment, despite all of the heinous things happening is that recently in this apartment there was a bombing where essentially like i think it was like six to eight people had died um yeah and basically the story or at least like what people are saying is that essentially there was like this middle eastern man that used to live in that building um and he had these like explosives that he left in the hallway i mean he it wasn't like wide and open he had them in like boxes um and then one day, basically, he, like, blew up the apartment. The narrative is like, is more complicated than that. But basically, like, that's kind of, like, what the mainstream story is. And so, you know, Aisha's kind of like, you know, Leslie was living in that building during this time. Like, she, I think, wants to just kind of keep her company. Because, like, you know, like, after going through something that traumatic, you still live in that same building. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, she's like, okay, like, I want to support you. But meanwhile, Tom, with his own mom, is like, I don't really give a fuck. Like, I don't really care that much. But whatever. But yeah, so basically, so that's kind of, like, what happens there. She almost stabs Leslie. But it's fine, I guess. The next scene is essentially um, Medina. So Medina, Aisha's friend also lives in this building because you know she's a real ass friend and we all need someone like medina honestly in our lives, <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> truly so basically medina so lives in this apartment with her roommate reynolds and reynolds and um her boyfriend ethan and so there, there's a scene where like you know it's like basically it's like aisha medina ethan reynolds and like this like fake ass girl named grace they're like all just like chatting having and like y'all see why i think grace is phony as fuck um Soon, but basically they're like all chatting, you know, having a little conversation and then and they're basically having that conversation about what had happened in the apartment where like this Middle Eastern man had like basically blown up parts of this building and then like, you know, in the news they were like, oh, maybe he's like connected to terrorism, like hoes had heard that he like was looking at ISIS websites and like just, I don't know, like shit like that. And so basically during this conversation, Aisha, you know, is looking at grace tell the story and then behind grace um she sees the wall it was like literally like a scene out of insidious like the wall starts to make this like demonic face and so aisha naturally freaks the fuck out like literally screams like it like just loses it and so she like steps outside and then medina's like goes out with her and it's like hey girl like you good like that was weird as fuck and then like aisha was like oh yeah girl you know i just like need to sleep you know like you know you just be screaming out of nowhere when you just don't sleep enough and then medina was like oh yeah girl i get it and i was like bro like <laughs> it is clearly more severe than this shit but y'all clearly do that thing where you're just like <laughs> just trying to flex like everything's okay but girl whatever i guess and so basically after all of this i she's like you know i i think i've overdone my part let me go home so she goes home and while she's home she kind of witnesses like this cute little scene between chris and leslie where basically chris you know and, and again to remind you all chris is about yeah like about six or seven years old chris just kind of asked leslie why um back in the day when she had like seen her playing with aisha's hijab like why she had gotten so upset i guess and, upset. right and yeah. then like basically leslie was like you know like sometimes like she was like you know i just got scared like i you know sometimes like when you you see certain things you just sort of react irrationally and you know i just got a little bit fearful um and basically Chris was like, well, what were you afraid of? And she was like, well, you know, like, you're a little young to understand this, I guess. But, like, essentially back in the day, you know, my husband, I guess her late husband, I don't think he's around anymore. You know, he was working one day um, and then something, like, bad had happened to him. And then she kind of trails off and doesn't really finish the explanation. But it's kind of assumed that I guess it was, like, it might have been, like, he might have, I don't know what happened. But he, I don't know. 
she has it been anything it could have been anything but i think she just has like a general bias against i'm not sure if it's like muslim people or like middle eastern people or like the intersection i don't know what but basically she they, she mm. like just there's something that happened with her late husband that like has led her to kind of have this prejudice in in her everyday life and so when she saw chris playing with aisha's hijab it just like brought up a lot for her and so, but then she, but she also admitted, she was like, but you know, the way I reacted was wrong. I shouldn't have been, acted like that. And the thing is like, you know, you know, I know Aisha told you that like, you know, later in life, like you can kind of decide what sort of religion you want to belong to and like kind of how you want to express that. But like, you know, like there's no issues with like whatever choice you make, whatever, whatever. And then Chris kind of says this cute thing that like, oh, well like, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't really get it. Cause Aisha always says that like, you know, I can wait until later to pray in the way that she does. But like praying, it's just like saying thanks to people. Like, I don't know why I can't just like say thanks now. And it's like, there's a cute little like, like right. white child thing where I'm like, oh, look at you. Like not being like fucked up. Problematic. Right. Yeah, and so I just sees all of this. And I think it's for her confirmation. of like, okay, like Leslie is changing. Leslie is getting better as a person. Um, and it's interesting because Mandina is very much has the mentality of like, you know, racism never is cured it just goes into remission whereas Aisha is very much someone mm. that believes like okay like people can change and like you know their biases can be curved if you know this right circumstances happen so she witnesses all of this she goes back to her room Aisha of course goes back to her room and she does like some research on this guy named Mitchell Fisher who we'll talk about later um but basically while doing that research like like the ghost things like we don't I honestly don't even know how to describe it it's basically like these like fusions of like fantasy ghost parts right. with these kind of like dismembered like human characteristics they, they, they just look mutant and like just like i don't even know what the fuck um but basically Marcy, have you ever seen attack on titan i haven't because i just heard it's really gory and i can't take all that <laughs> <laughs> just keeping it wanted so funny. um they kind of look like that like these kind of grotesque exaggerated human bodies mm. if that helps anyone yes but continue very accurate yeah i i, I yeah i know what to do. i know i'm familiar with the visual but you know the plot i you know faint of heart <laughs> i just can't but anyway so basically yeah so these like attack on titan bitches start like terrorizing the <laughs> shit out of aisha and chris and leslie walk in and you know naturally understandably they're like what the fuck like what is going on and, like why are you screaming into nothingness and like what is going on and basically um, at one point, like, you know, Aisha's like, y'all stay back, stay back, like, you know, well, whatever, whatever. And then, like, Chris starts mm -hmm. to, like, approach her anyway. And then one of the ghost things, like, takes Aisha's hand and, like, forces her to, like, strike Chris in the face. And so Leslie's like, what the fuck? And, like, grabs Chris and, like, gets her out of the room. Um, Aisha eventually leaves and, like, the ghost kind of, like calm down a little bit and then basically like they're all out in the hallway and like near the stairs and basically like right. the ghost like so this the scene was a little hard to take like was kind of hard to parse out because there was just like a lot going on but basically what I witnessed and Akko feel free to jump in if like you had a different interpretation what it looked like to me was that basically the ghost like came back and startled Aisha and so in doing so Aisha kind of like Jut, like jut it backwards or like did some sort of like flail move something that kind of like caught leslie off guard and so leslie responding to that kind of step backwards with chris and then like the two of them fell down the stairs like it was like they yeah. were both startled and it was just like this like really unfortunate accent where like it wasn't like aisha pushed them or something like that but it was more like aisha got startled which startled chris who was dangerously close to the stairs it's so like chris and leslie yeah. ended up falling down the stairs or was it, I think part of it was she was trying to get them out of danger. Mm -hmm. Like she was trying to push them away from the ghost monster thingy. Mm -hmm. But because it's there, but not really there, it ended up 
it was her just pushing them down the stairs. It was definitely like she's seeing one thing and thinking she's being helpful and that is leading to their death as opposed to her like pushing them down the stairs purposely. Right. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, just like a weird, weird fucking scene. And so basically after all of that happens, Leslie dies pretty much immediately. And then Chris and Aisha actually both end up in critical condition. Um, and the next scene is basically them being in the hospital. So like Aisha's in the hospital, Chris is in the hospital, Tom is there. Um, having returned from his like indie like thing um, with his friend Send Hill, um, as well as like who is like not really relevant, irrelevant. but like you know whatever um, <laughs> you know I guess we just need characters. Um, and yeah, and then Chris, and then like Leslie is dead, which obviously is affecting Tom, but they didn't really go into like his feelings right. on that. That's not his. Yeah, it, it's not his biggest concern to be honest. Honestly, with you. he's just like he's mainly just yeah concerned about you know his future wife and his and his daughter. But um, but yeah, but I uh, but Akko, do you want to do you want to jump in and kind of fill in the rest of what happened? Yeah. So then there's this subplot with Ethan, who's Medina. If you guys don't remember, is Medina's book writing boo thing, and he's like, I want to write a book about the occult. Which, <laughs> why I do I. Could not tell you, but you know, he's really into it. And so he gets his suburban friend Reynolds mm-hmm. to go on this like Dora the Explorer adventure to find this guy named Arthur Quinn, who they say used to, he had this theory, right? Where he believed strong emotions can blur the lines between the world and the afterworld or the next world. Almost like we live on these parallel planes with um, emotions. And there's like a world where emotions exist in a physical form and fight each other. Um, and then right. this Arthur Quinn guy thought that in this emotional world had like released a sh- shadow ball of evil into New York City. It was a lot. So <laughs> they <laughs> they decide to go. They find like they're rummaging in the basement of this creepy apartment, and they find I think it's like an old shirt from a guy, and, and it has an address on it. So they try to go to that address, and this they meet this guy who is like, "Where'd you get that shirt?" And he's like, "Oh, um." from the basement and he's like oh yeah yeah like my friend made that for me before he died and then so Reynold and um ethan are basically like yo do you know what's up with all this so this guy gives this much needed exposition about what's going on and he basically explains that um this the arthur quinn theory and then he explains that they used to believe that when people died violently they'd come back for revenge and so like it's almost like the spirits from the other emotional world could take over that or kind of like grasp onto the hatred of someone in this world mm. and, you know, wreak havoc. So right. this Mitchell Fisher guy from who, who Aisha was researching earlier, he was kind of a capital H hater. Like he like, like he was just the worst. <laughs> just he was like mad at the world. <laughs> right. Like you're reading the comic and he's like, I don't have this job because, you know, PC culture and my wife doesn't have a job because of PC culture too. And then everyone's like, wow. Um, so he actually is the one who caused the explosion. So the man, I think his apartment was 4D. They never really say his name. He had like explosions in a box outside but he had like gone for a walk and then this Mitchell Fisher guy was like, I got to find evidence about why this guy's a problem. Like we need to totally do this. And la, la, la. So right. he goes upstairs and he like opens the box and he's like playing with stuff and then the place blows up and you're like, Ugh, <laughs> no one needed you to do that, but that's fine. And, and like, <laughs> and like so yeah. much of it was just out of jealousy because like, mind you, Mitchell Fisher, yeah. this bitch was late on bills. 
because you know they i guess because of like people of color like he didn't get this fucking promotion and his wife is like an actress mm. and she was like they didn't let me be in a play because apparently there were too many white people in the play like i guess like talent and ability means nothing and i'm just like <laughs> sis i'm gonna just stop you right there i'm pretty sure that your your talent and abilities quote unquote like girl then people of color right. like please don't do this shit but basically yes yeah, they were just like hating as fuck and so i think the dude who had the explosives he was like a professor or something like that and like was just doing kind of an all around better job with his life than they were <laughs> and so they were like trying to get him like evicted basically and like you know prove that he was like suspicious then they blew up the apartment and they blew up the apartment and now, it, because that wasn't enough, he was like, now I should probably haunt people, people of color in this apartment. That sounds like a good idea. Like, I'm not done wreaking havoc mm. even in the afterlife. So Mitchell Fisher, that that's, is, is the one. Yeah. Mitchell Fisher, mm. yes. So so that's all happening. And they finally, Ethan's like, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. But simultaneously, um, Senhill, which if you guys remember, drove Tom back down from this irrelevant movie filming that's happening in upstate New York. So they are like, you know, we need to see Aisha's, the doctors are like, we need to see Aisha's records to see if it maybe was a medical thing that was causing these delusions or what's going on. So Senhill, he's like a real one. So he's like, all right, Tom's in messed up state. Let me go get these files from this godforsaken apartment. Mm. Um, even though Medina said that she was going to go do it. So then all of a sudden oh he's over there going to get these uh, and like Sin Hill, you actually did not, you were not relevant enough to die. Like you did not need to go to this apartment. <laughs> you got yourself killed. But anyway, so. Because the thing he, is, so, so the thing is Medina had a recent experience where she was in the apartment with this white woman named Haley. Because basically Haley, so rewinding slightly, had accused Aisha of pushing Chris and um, Leslie down the yeah. stairs. And so basically like Medina confronted her. But then while confronting her, like one of the ghost demon beast things like showed up. And then like Medina was like, oh, my God, Aisha, this is, <laughs> this has to be what's going on. Yes. And so that's why Aisha was like, Sand Hill, my nigga, please don't go back. Because, girl, we know yo ass. They're going to get you. <laughs> so let me go because at least I can kind of like navigate it. But then he was like, basically like, well, at one point, Medina like went to the bathroom or some shit, goes and talks to Tom and was like, oh, where the fuck is Sand Hill? And then uh, Tom was like, oh, like, he just went to the apartment anyway. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, this Medina's like why does no one listen to me don't listen and then they die and you're like see uh, look at this preventable but anyway right and so then while that's Senhill's busy you know being the first kill in this horror novel um, <laughs> Ethan rolls back in and he's like oh hey I totally figured out what's going on and I, I get it. Like, this is all the thing. And then Medina's like, okay, bet we need to go to this apartment and get these medical files. So they get there. They go to grab the files. Medina, like, gets the files. Okay, I will say they had a solid plan going in. Right. Uh, she and Ethan, like, she was like, call Reynolds. Fine. I don't trust Reynolds, but call him. Make sure someone knows where we are. And then she's like, when we get in there, we're going to stay together. We're not going to leave each other's side. Mm -hmm. so, and they're, they're like doing pretty good. But then they somehow get separated. Medina goes and gets the file. Ethan's in the kitchen or something. And then, of course, these demons show up. And they're just screwing with him. And then Medina literally turns around like it's like a Scooby-Doo episode. He's like, <laughs> Ethan, Ethan. And then Ethan's dead. Ethan's dead. So she walks into the room. Ethan's dead. She finds dead Sand Hill. And she's like, no. You know, like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> we lost a good one. Like, no. And so she's... <laughs> So she's over here, like, crying over the bodies, which is understandable, of course, getting blood all over her clothes. And I'm like, oh, my God, Medina, this is what they do. Now you're going to be blamed for their murders. Mm -hmm. And then literally at that moment, as I was saying that while reading, Tom rolls up right. into the room. 
why i do not know where was tom <laughs> why did he suddenly show up we do not know but then he's there and he's looking at medina that, wow that really w- that really wasn't explained who knows? he really was just there <laughs> randomly oh my god wow i did not even think about that it was convenient plot wise but i was like yeah like wasn't he at the hospital anyway you're right sorry right just right revelation. so then so so tom's like you've killed everyone this is you you killed my buddy senhill our movie our indie movie will never be made now you know you killed my buddy ethan you're probably the reason aisha's dead and my mom hell you just you you're the murderer and she's like hold on tom i know it looks bad but like that's not what's going on but tom is not having it so he's like fighting her it's a fight but medina is holding her own i will say so she's like True. running down the hallways beating him up trying to run again and but like tom is not he's he's you know in hot pursuit they get to the basement she's beat him up some more and then the neighbor i guess this old man comes down and he shoots tom in the back and he's like he looked like he was hurting you is everybody okay like what's going on mm-hmm. and she's like get out of the basement because i gotta you know burn this whole place down and stop the demons also we should mention so another reason they came back to the apartment was to get um these beads um mashaba beads which it's like the the idea was that you can use the good these the beads hold like a good emotion like a strong good emotion and so you can use that to counteract the bad so she gets those beads right and the reason why the bees the the miss baja beads um have a lot of significance is because they've been passed down at aisha's family for like like several Mm. generations like i think like five or six generations so basically like medina's like okay this should have enough like ancestral like litty energy to like overcompensate like Mitchell right. Fisher's like ashy bitch ass. So <laughs> yes, right. So she has the beads. She managed to get those, although she drops them kind of while she's doing this whole mess. And she, she manages she manages to get like gasoline all over the basement floor while she's like tussle fighting with Tom. And then she goes to like light um a, a lighter to blow everything up, and the lighter's not working. And you're like, oh no! But then she confronts the spirit, and she's like. I know that you're Mitchell Fisher. And she's like, don't kill Aisha. Aisha actually is really like you. You know, she likes the same things as you. And she she is similar to you in a lot of ways. Because Aisha had been like comparing the two of them and almost looking for the things about them that were the same. Because Medina points out that Aisha in a room full of darkness focuses on the light. Mm. So Mitchell Fisher's spirit demon stops for like a quick second. He doesn't really resolve or become a better person or spirit or anything, right. but he like he just like stops for a quick pace, which is enough time for Medina to grab that gun from the old man had dropped when he was like making his quick escape back up the stairs, and she shoots it into the air or into the room, and I guess that starts an explosion. I wasn't a hundred percent sure on that part. I, I was think like, I, don't know I think that's, that's I work. think that's what happened. Yeah, they say so. They reveal later that basically Medina had essentially. Like, they thought that it was almost, like, a botched terrorism, like, attack. Like, they... Because basically what happened was, like, like she had released enough gas to only really explode the basement, which is why, like, with the old man, she was like, oh, like, get out of here. Like, I'm going to, like, light this shit on fire. And so, basically, all the rest of the building was fine. Like, no one died in the explosion. Mm. It was just Medina yeah. who ended up dying because she was in the basement while all this happened. But, but her intent wasn't to blow the entire building up. Uh, it was just to, like... Right. Yeah. Isolate between her and uh, Mitchell Fisher. So the book ends with Aisha living with her mom and Chris. And basically it's this really cute like um, cartoon picture of Medina kind of talking to her and being like, okay, you need to reconcile with your mom. And she makes, she says this line about we have to trust those that we love, even if we trust them carefully. And she's like, okay, I'll think about it. And it's like, you know, they have like a nice decent resolution 
Um, even though actually mostly everybody's dead except for Reynolds and Grace, who no one cared about. And so <laughs> the story leaves off with um, these two men in the basement of the old apartment and they're just kind of talking and laughing and being like, oh, we're going to turn this into a capitalist, you know, housing unit where we're going to make so much money. But then you like see the spirit again on the wall, which indicates that it is no way in no way gone or right. the building. So, yeah. So that's it. That's pretty much it. So it's kind of bittersweet, mostly bitter, mm, um, mostly bitter. Yeah. But um, let's take another break and we can yes. go into all of our feelings and thoughts. And we're back. Okay, yes. guys. So, um, Marcy, I think one of the biggest things that I liked or thought about this book as I was reading was... The concept of emotions personified. Mm. Um, And I think it's so interesting because we understand emotions are a big thing, but because we can't see them in a way you can, not in the way you can see like someone taking a hatchet and like slashing at you or Mm -hmm. a knife in this case, in this book, we don't maybe understand the weight of them. So having them put into a, a demon beast creature that's haunting you right. all the time and showing how it's ever present and un- inescapable. I think that was very terrifying. So in this book, I feel like the concept of hate was personified mm. and it was so terrifying and grotesque and all encompassing that it was just, Oh, it made me shiver. Yes. Mm. I, I, I find that concept really fascinating because yeah, like I think the, I mean, even just like quickly talking about the art style, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of like describe it because honestly, it truly is like its own one of mm. kind thing. But like, I think just the visualization of all of that hate compounded throughout a lifetime that exists so strongly right. that it still is prevalent even in the afterlife. It's like, it's Ooh. like, yeah, it would, of course, look like some shit that is just like honestly unrecognizable because truly most of us, right. at least, you know, when we like hate knowingly or unknowingly something or someone or type of person or some you know type of anything to an extent that we don't necessarily recognize like we we often i think we it's easy for us to separate ourselves from that emotion i think you know Ah. most people would don't quite own up to their own sort of hatred and their own sort of honestly and even to a lesser extent their own just sort of bias that they carry with them and so Mm. i think having it look just the way it looked kind of juxtaposed to like how like you know regular and everyday everyone else looked was just kind of like okay this is actually what we're breeding every day i thought it was like is a visual way to capture bias that i was like this is because like this looks how it feels for the people on like sort of like the receiving ends of this so i just thought that was like really interesting like okay like this is kind of gross like when bitches like when dudes i fell out i was like okay do we really need all that but it was also like but also his eye needed to fall out because like Mm. that's yeah, it it kind of helps to embody that emotion more. Um, yeah. And also just this concept of hatred outliving you or almost like the second you hate the emotion taking on a form of its own that can then infect other people. So like a lot of times in the comic, the demon spirit thing would latch on to someone mm. as almost like it was attached to their body. 
and the person who was attached to didn't notice but it, it's almost like it was amplifying their emotions already right and yes. i think in a lot of ways in america now that's the case right like it's one situation amplified by the miasma of hatred that exists around us in this culture mm-hmm. and i i really liked that idea where the emotion the hatred takes on a life of its own and then goes around kind of not infecting because the, the, it's still it's latching onto something, but right. amplifying something that someone already has a bias that someone already has that maybe wasn't as bad or as serious as before. Mm. And you made a really good point about who gets haunted and who can see right. the demon creature. Yeah, because like basically in the book, you come to realize that like only the people of color in the book can see these demon things. All of the mm. white people in the book are like in- entirely unable to see them. Like it's just like they right. just can't. And so it makes so it makes the scene with Aisha, Chris and Leslie in the stairs even more interesting because basically yeah, there was this right. white woman named Haley that was like I saw Aisha push them down the stairs. And the thing is like mm. sure what she saw might have looked like Aisha pushing them down the stairs, but at the same time it's like you Aisha is experiencing something that you literally cannot to the point where it's just like it's like it kind of adds that extra layer of complication of like it's like this duality of like both people of color are going to be terrorized more so than the white people in this novel and we're going to position this terror in a way so that like like you mentioned this miasma of racism that already already exists can like more easily activate and take advantage of that right so like of course if the if the ghost demon bitch puts aisha in this like position her being like a brown muslim woman people are gonna look at her and be like oh my god like of Mm. course she pushed them down the stairs you know i mean like it 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 begets more and more of that bias and like activates what's already there and i think it's also really interesting that like i really also like that mitchell fisher was like sort of like the hbic head bitch in charge of like these like demon (laughs) ghost things because like the thing is, like, Mitchell Fisher was not, like, some, like, KKK member. Like, Mitchell Fisher no. was, like, a regular, mediocre, regular-ass white guy who just was jealous of, like, this brown guy that lived close to him, was nosy, and mm-hmm. then, like, low-key destroyed a building. But, of course, it was easily able to be sort of, like, thrown off on this, like, Middle Eastern man. Like, because, like, you know, again, like, right. of that bias that already is there. And I think that having someone who is, like, so, in other ways, like, just so un unextraordinary be so hateful it's like it's it it really kind of showcases like even if you're someone who like you know perhaps you're a white person that like you know doesn't necessarily recognize that own bias that exists within you it's like it still doesn't change the true nature of what you're experiencing even if that bias is something that's not as it's not as overt it's still there and it still looks like mitchell killing people of color (laughs) in this fucking apartment building and the thing is like mitchell would literally like the nigga would turn into like damn near like a venus flytrap before he would kill these motherfuckers (laughs) like the scene with ethan it was wild he literally it was like his face but was like a human face but then like behind the back of his head like grew these like tentacle teeth things that like Ugh. bit into Ethan it was just like really nasty and I was just like mm, you probably didn't brush those teeth anyway like it's just like oh this is just <laughs> nasty but like also I mean just like fucking terrifying I'm like wow like, talk about like terrifying. a horror comic it's like like horror is not something that like I'm not someone that like you know for me the biggest thing is gore horror and like suspense and things like that that's fine but it's always, it's always mm. interesting when people say things like oh like you know I can't watch scary movies because like that shit will stick with me for like days I'm like girl I can watch a scary movie and then I will literally forget about it and will never think about it again but some <laughs> shit like this like demon sh- beast things like only specifically haunted racist, people of color like racist demon beast that oh. is like so it, it, it gave me the same feeling as like kind of as get out kind of gave me where i was like this is mm. like 
a little too real. I'm actually uncomfortable. Like, and here I am then, you know, several days later, like talking about it on the podcast and still feeling <laughs> the same way about it. You know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a genius idea, but also just like, what my God. Ugh. Yeah. It's very, uh, it sticks with you. I also noticed, and, and this made me, when Marcy was like, you know, the only the POCs were, could see the, the demon. Also, on the flip side, the only ones who could get controlled by the demons were white people. Yes. So that was the other thing that I was like, this is kind of crazy. But then it also changes that scene with Leslie and Aisha. Because I I think what's so interesting is that Leslie and Aisha are trying to understand each other. They are trying to bridge a gap between them. And to Leslie's, like, credit, she is being like, I am sorry. Like, I am trying to be a better person. But the question is, in a society where this underlying racism and hatred is festering it's almost like this hatred can latch on to even like the smallest amount of biases or hatred that you have right so it almost makes recovery or changing even more difficult right because the second you have a bias or a doubt it it can be infested and amplified by this demon and i think that is a good metaphor for the times we live in now where people might have a moment of realization that like hey people are people and this is actually too much mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden there's the, the all of a sudden the inundation of of society and all the the things and mm. the history and the way people talk about various minority groups all of a sudden like hits them with such a force that they're like Okay, actually, let me just go back to this sort of problematic way of thinking again. Right. So I, I did like that because I, I don't think you see that portrayed very often. And I thought this was a really interesting portrayal of it. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not letting anybody off the hook, though. Like, check your own biases. Right. Oh. <laughs> there are no demons jumping on you. Da, 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 da. But I did like that <laughs> characterization. I thought that was really interesting. Right. <laughs> And I think in, in, in a lot of ways, what I liked about this was like it kind of I think. Okay, I'm trying to use my words carefully, so I'm not like literally giving cookies out to people who are problematic. But like, I think this story did a good job of kind of complicating specifically like Mm. racism, xenophobia and Islamophobia in the in the text, Um, like with the whole situation with the dude that the Middle Eastern guy that lived in like 4D and, um, you know, that whole scenario and like kind of like people's responses afterwards because like you start to see that like you know leslie was really bothered when she saw chris playing with um aisha's hijab because like she was like well like i had this really recent experience where because of again this media sort of bias like i was led to believe that someone who was kind of like you blew up literally my own building you know what i mean like it's like in like there's like this fear there that like very much stems from like a very specific incident um and even grace who's like the friend that like was kind of shitty she the reason why we like don't really fuck with grace is because like she kind of was like oh yeah like girl like i definitely think i should push that like you know chris and leslie down the stairs because like you know they found her outside which is like weird as fuck like why would she just randomly be outside and just in critical like she like and again kind of had that bias because she had like kind of gone through that experience and it was just it was interesting to see because i think it's so easy to see not again not justifying islamophobia racism like xenophobia anything like that however i think oftentimes this bias you see it kind of coming from this like really sort of nebulous like unnecessary space where it's like oh culturally you're taught to think this way about people so you just think this way about people 
versus in this instance, it's like, yes, you still feel the same way. And yes, you still have this problematic bias, but it kind of stems from a very specific incident. Granted, like you probably still had these biases going into this experience, but like you like seeing, seeing Leslie's fears come from that specific incident in her life. And honestly being kind of like a response to trauma kind of gave it like, okay, like I can, I don't agree with this obviously, but I can, I, I can understand almost why one would come to that conclusion, I guess. Right. It's almost like when someone's like, hmm, it's not like you are saying they're justified or right, but it's like if you were in a dark room and then someone turned on the lights and there's like a demon monster in the room. Right. So you're like, oh God. <laughs> and you like turn the lights back off and like walk back out the door and shut it. Right. Cause you're like, I don't want to deal with this. But if you're like, <laughs> before I was just in a dark room and I didn't understand like what you guys are freaking out about. Now the lights are on. Well, okay. Maybe a demon monster is the wrong metaphor. Maybe it's more like a bunny with sharp teeth. Oh, <laughs> somehow worse. And I'm, like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I get why you guys are afraid. You could probably just leave the room with me as well and like not be in the room with the demon bunny. Right. But I see what you're afraid of now, but I'm still going to go. Right. I think that's what it is. It's just understanding what they're talking about or people are talking about when they come at situations with ignorance or fear. Right. That being said, and I think Marcy, we've talked about this and, and, and we, we've kind of come to a, a similar thought on it. Who gets to have their fear be the justification right. or, you know, the, yeah, for, for behavior, for bad behavior. Right. And obviously, you know, Aisha and Medina and Ethan are very scared of something that is very real. Yes. That, you know, the <laughs> white people in the story cannot see, mm-hmm. but that's not given the same weight or the same uh, space or justification by the other parties. You know, like right. Medina is talking to Tom and she, Medina's like, you need to believe me. There is something here, but Tom's perspective, it's just as subjective, is the one that takes precedent and now Medina's in danger. Right. So I think that's the part that this book showcases very well in that, you know, all the POCs die. Um, Pretty much. Is that, <laughs> yes, everyone's afraid. You're afraid. Okay, great. But your fear keeps you fine and our fear, you know, keeps us dead. Right. Wait, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Your fear <laughs> <laughs> leaves, like, like you're still alive at the end of the day and with our fear, we're no longer alive right i guess it's costly for us not be believed and it's it's interesting too because even that same fear like when aisha was fearful like she had every reason in the world to doubt herself and be like oh no i'm seeing things like this isn't real like let me like try to see the similarities between me and this literal demon like haunting the fuck out of me Mm. versus if you're fearful of brown people leslie grace you know what i mean like it's like you it's like that's a fear that's like you don't have to question because society confirms yeah. that kind of fear. So it's allowed to kind of yeah. permeate and expand and be sort of like validated in a way that like the in not even really the inverse fear, but honestly a far more insidious and destructive fear, the one that Aisha and Medina is, is experiencing, is like somehow questioned and belittled and like not really seen as that important, even though it's literally the one that's like mm. the mo- that's more evil than the other one right like so it's just like this is yeah it's such an it's so funny because like i what i love about this text is that it, it takes i just I, again this is why we have the color pages book club i just think that like literature and art just can like really expand how we see these things like actually seeing the symbolic visualization of racism and like kind of seeing like everyday scenarios play out everyday dynamics that we definitely navigate on a day-to-day basis like Mm. play out in this way it's like this is this is genius because it kind of gets you to sort of 
it just showcases it in a new light, which I think is just really, That's just really, true. really fucking dope. I feel like you internalize the discomfort in a way that you don't always internalize when you read. Unless you're like reading Toni Morrison, who, uh, as we all know, will make you internalize anything uh, she wants you to feel. Because she... It's perfect. So, you know, like, that's just <laughs> how we feel about that. It's just, you know, the cold hard truth. Um, but I guess only slightly, well, hmm, I guess two sort of quick things. Um, just a quicker question. So, I know that um, in this book, there is this sort of tension between Medina and Aisha, where Medina is very much kind of like, racism doesn't go away. That shit just goes into remission, blah, blah, blah. Aisha's more of the idea of like, okay, people can change, like, that is possible. Like, yes, not everyone is going to be like great all the time, but like, you know, like it's not just because you were like problematic once doesn't mean you're problematic forever. Mm. I guess. How do you kind of feel about that tension? Sort of like, where do you think like, like, I guess what's, what's your opinion on, on sort of those ideologies? Right. I, the optimist in me actually believes that you can change. Mm-hmm. You really can't. I don't think it's above. I, I think, and and seeing the way I've changed in some of the biases I've had when I was younger, most of my life I grew up in red states and red counties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it wasn't a red state, it was a red county in a blue state. Mm. And and the things they teach you and you're inundated with, you know, you get a little older and you have to examine them again and think, what the hell was that? <laughs> even if at the time, you, you know, even if at the time as a, as a black person in that space, you're already like, I don't know if this is not entirely correct. But but some of it does get inundated into your your way of thinking, and. So you, I think for me, when things started to change, it, it really did become a matter of, I actually, my whole, it was a paradigm shift. I cannot think about it the other way anymore. Mm. I do not. It's almost like exactly in this book, like it goes from not being able to see a demon to suddenly being able to see a demon. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I do think that that does happen and people do get there. I don't think you get there without thinking about your own insecurities, your, your own biases, your own whatever hate someone's given you in your life, be it, you know, your parents or a teacher. You know what I mean? This, these these insecurities and hatred come from so many different places. Right. I think you have to be able to examine that. And if not, no, I don't think you're actually going to cure it, even if you want to be better, because it's right. not something, it's not that simple. It's just not a simple concept, right? Like. Mm. Islamophobia and homophobia and racism, they all come from this deep-seated sense of lack of self-worth that we're not even thinking about. And mm. so for you to be like, no, I'm better now. I'm like, well, no, because this is this has to do with how you feel about yourself as an entity. It's a metaphysical question. So it's going to take a lot of work to shift it around. Mm. And it's true that I think if it comes from a place of trauma, like something happened and then for you started to dislike this group of people, you might be able to more quickly uh, shift back to a paradigm. But if it's something that's you've grown up with and have thought your whole life, I think it's, it takes a little bit of work. Yeah. Mm. That's, ooh, Maybe. that's real shit. That's real shit. I, I agree. I think, cause also, as much as I, I understand why Medina thinks the way that she does. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who have confirmed the mm. idea that Medina has about people in general. But I, I, but I agree with you. I think that like just observing my own sort of social evolution through time and sort of the maturation of my own ideas about people, like it, I, it, it, it's very similar. It's like I might have had certain biases before, or like maybe even not, like you know maybe they weren't like severe or super overt, but like you know still there. And now it's one of those things where it's like, it's like you can't unsee it. You can't unhear it. Like you can't, 
like I can't turn it off is the thing. And like, I'm, I'm always captivated. Yeah. I'm always like really interested, like not interested, but more so like really just perplexed when people can somehow do that. Like when they can somehow like quote, say the right things and do the right things, whatever, whatever, but like still be garbage. Like, it's just like, <laughs> I, I just don't understand how like in the same body you can do those. Like you can say this thing about this group of people yet do this thing to this group of people. Right. It's like, it's like, I, I and like granted like we all make mistakes like I'm not saying like you know I'm just like that bitch I mean I am that bitch but like you know I'm not like, perfect <laughs> um but at the same time it's just like yeah like I've noticed that like it's just yeah it, like I do think that people can change however yet yeah, it, it has to kind of come from that space of self-reflection and like it, it, it's a process it's not just like oh like I want to be better so I'm just like suddenly better now and so I think with Leslie granted we don't really know too much about her but like it seems as though she was kind of on a maybe a trajectory of trying to improve as a person right right i agree yeah so it, it's it's just yeah so so it's interesting and also just like i guess on a slightly lighter note um i am personally just blown that medina died at the end of this goddamn book like i really thought ain't that she it. oh my god i'm gonna tell you she was so close to getting out of that goddamn building like she literally mm. dropped the fucking files she like got the bees, was running downstairs, and then, like, fucking Tom with his ass, and then, like, he got shot, and I was like, oh, my right. God, look, Medina about to escape, bitch, is about to be Liddy, but I think she was like, I can't have the spirit here. I can't live with the fact that, like, this is a thing that, like, is terrorizing people, and so, like, right. the fact that Mitchell Fisher, like, like even if he didn't directly kill her, he still, like, had a huge role in her death. It's just annoying as fuck. Like, I'm just like, you just killed all these people of color who had, like, so much... For no reason who had so much like you know creative ability who had so much like just so many not even just things to con- contribute but like just existed and just oh, were right. and just like deserved yeah. to be there because they just did and you right. like was ethan's book gonna be a shitty book about the occult yes yes it would be terrible how <laughs> to live and write a shitty book exactly so it's just like i it's 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 interesting because and i'll actually um read this actually let me let me read my quote really quickly, and then I'll kind of go into the next point, because I think it, it'll kind of put it in, in context. So really quickly, so this is actually a quote from not technically the book itself, but it's from the foreword um, that was written by Tana Nareev Du. And if you don't mind me reading it, it's, it's a cute, it's like two paragraphs, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief. So the quote reads, as a lifelong horror fan, I've been waiting for this era my whole life. Horror is growing up. For too long, those of us who were black or people of color had to accept being invisible in the horror stories we loved, or else diminished to hurtful and repetitive tropes. Magical guys to the white protagonists, first to die to create peril for the, quote, real characters, or outright sacrifices, useful only for cultural heritage to be exploited for scares. But in the age of Jordan Peele's Get Out, a more inclusive era in horror is emerging, not only making room for inclusive characters all readers can identify with, but using the supernatural to examine the real-life horror facing so many of us. Racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia. Growing up as a daughter of two civil rights activists and learning daily the physical and emotional cost of discrimination, racism has always been a monster to me. In many ways, racism may be the reason I write, read, and love horror. So... One, I mean, just like beautifully written, love, all of that. Mm. But what I think is interesting is that in a text that is looking to subvert sort of these like 
tropes around people of color looking to humanize them in ways that like they typically aren't in this horror genre you still end up with an outcome where most of them aren't alive anymore and where medina Mm. herself is kind of this sacrificial character who yes when Mm. medina destroyed the spirit of mitchell fisher that because aisha was basically in a coma and so when once medina burned the basement or whatever aisha you know came back to life basically like she like she recovered and so the thing is like I just I I think that's just interesting to kind of notice. It's not to say that like you know like obviously I hate the text or anything, but I just think it's interesting that like you still end up with that outcome, and even then like whiteness still took up enough space to like rid of these characters, right? Like it's like he's like Medina, Ethan, Sand Hill. These people weren't allowed to exist anymore because of the weight of whiteness. Which yes, like it it, it is exploring a social phenomenon, but I just think it's interesting that like that sacrificial role still happened even in mm. this. No, that's a good point, Marcy. I think you're right. There is, there are still, of course, the tropes, and that's a, that's a really good thing to point out. And also, Medina, she a lot of times in the comic actually, she's very like forward, and we got this. No, like you know, what I mean, like just a very able to handle it black woman, mm-hmm. which I love. Don't get me wrong, I love, but also it just it does play on this sort of not angry black girl stereotype, but this sort of loud, like in your face black girl stereotype, which. It's interesting because Aisha and her grew up in the same neighborhood. The same, I don't know. It just seems like a little odd that they're characterized so differently. Mm. Um, but and also she puts the whole team on her back, which again is like another moment of like this odd reverence for black women, where it's like you guys really like sacrifice for everybody to like live in the end. You guys are always going to make the choice that like saves humanity, and you're like, is anyone thinking about the cost of that? Right. Now you're just expecting us to do it. Exactly. I mean, maybe I'm still in my feelings because they killed my Sunday on Game of Thrones, but we're not going to get into it. Like, it's fine. (laughs) We're not going to get into it. But um, so I agree with you. There is definitely there is definitely that to consider. Yeah, it's and I think it also kind of just raises some questions, too, around. I guess what does it mean to create characters or like to conduct world building? Um centering characters that don't belong to your own specific social location. Like I know Mm. from the creators to the writers to like, you know, the artists, or I guess like the main, the main team that worked on this, um, Pachette Shote Campbell is Thai American and Via Rubia Powell, I think is Spanish American. Um, Mm. and, and I think it's like, you know, both to my knowledge, identify as men. It's just, I think it's, it, it points out some interesting pieces around like, you're writing from an experience that you yourself may not necessarily have. Perhaps you might have a lot of personal, like you might like know people from this community or you might, you know, like not saying you've never experienced parts of like, you know, these various cultures and experiences, but like, I just think it's interesting that like you kind of like, sometimes it's it, it makes me almost think about like captain planet and how like i remember back in the day people used to be like oh my god like <laughs> this is like so diverse and like so lit but at the same time like captain planet was like not really that girl because it was like yes you have all these people of color that like i guess kind of represent these different communities but you don't really explore like they don't really have nuance like they're just kind of like these yeah. caricatures that like it's like oh like you have like an asian female character but like it's like you don't really see in like they just like are kind of like these they're honestly kind of interchangeable and just like sort of these wacky right. things but like it's like you get to say like oh we're diverse without having to actually do the work of like exploring what does that actually mean like what dynamics Mm. are now present because we have these different groups of people together right like so i think that like 
this granted i don't think this text was like as egregious as like captain planet was in that respect but i do think that like <laughs> there are some pieces where like yeah like it's like they're in the absence of perhaps a more nuanced understanding of different groups of people you do kind of rely on these tropes of people even if you are very much actively trying not to do that and also simultaneously write a text that like subverts those very same tropes so i just i just think it's right. really I just think it's really interesting. Um, it's not shade. It's not shade. It's just like it's just something I noticed. And I just thought was like kind of worth bringing on to the ethos. So you know, you make a good point because I'm thinking even about Tom, and Tom is kind of just like a feel good white guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from yelling at his mother, which as an immigrant I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like the audacity, like <laughs> bitch, how dare you? Like, like you could voice disagreement, but yelling. Uh, anyway, but um, <laughs> but otherwise, like you know, he he like loves Aisha and he seems to like be down for the cause to protect her and care about her Mm -hmm. and that's but there are issues if you're in this type of relationship like there's tension especially when you've got a demon amplifying racism in your apartment building (laughs) you know um and so I didn't think Chris uh, his name's not Chris Tom I didn't think Tom had enough character development so between the two of them i was kind of like tom shows up in the panels but honestly kind of like that last scene with medina i was like tom what you doing here right like <laughs> it was just, and then he's just, and then all of a sudden he's just like i knew it was you so it's like you see that like tom right. is like low-key on a racist tip like but it's just kind of like right. okay but like w- where was this early you know what i mean like it just seemed kind of like i mean it kind of get it was giving me like um what's her face from get out like what was her name rose or whatever like the oh, like kind of like oh like you're like down for the cause like you like know what to say but like when shit really hits the fan you're like oh like see i knew it it's just kind of like why mm. is it so easy for you to believe that like it's like you can believe Aisha because you're like romantically and sexually involved with her, presumably. Right. But like Medina, who you don't necessarily have that relationship with, who at the same time you also rely on her emotional labor to watch after Ugh. Aisha, you so quickly believe that she Right. It's like it's like why is Medina so dispensable, right? Like why is Medina yeah. just like it's like, oh well, guess we're done with her now. It's just kinda like Right. Uh, I don't know. Ooh, it's just that's like, a good point. It's interesting. And I think I would love to also have seen more of Medina and Aisha's relationship. I mean, because quite frankly, mm-hmm. Aisha was in a coma for like 60% of the text. So I was like, fuck. <laughs> like, uh, so you, you didn't really get, I mean, you like got some flashbacks, which are like kind of cute. But like, I don't know. I think I overall, though, I thought this was really, it was it was a good launch pad for a discussion. It definitely made me think a lot. I um, and I don't know. I would love to personally, I mean, I'm not really one, like I didn't really grow up reading comics like that, quite frankly. And so like, this is kind of like an interesting sort of newer avenue for me so yes i'm kind of curious to see what else is out there in terms of like these more i guess social commentary type of um type of works or mm-hmm. even just like fantasy litty like shit you know what i mean like it's like, like i'm just down to yeah. like just read some good shit no i feel you i feel i i i agree i think the the comic is is very very good and even some of my criticisms i i wonder i will give the comic the benefit of the doubt that that's actually what they wanted us to feel uncomfortable with. Mm. Like almost like, Oh, Chris. Oh oh my God. His name is Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why (laughs) I've decided it's Chris all of a sudden. His last name is not Chris, right? There's no, no, literally just Tom. All right. Um, (laughs) Tom, Tom's ability to flip on a switch maybe is another social commentary. You know what I mean? Mm. That this thing is more insidious and more prevalent in the back of people's minds, even for people who appear to not be inundated or or 
affect affected by it you know and so maybe that that is the the horror of it is that precariousness Mm. right because even with grace she was like i wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt but now i can't so it's almost like peace or or like um harmony is is like on a very fragile right pedestal and you're like oh that's actually terrifying too is the sense that this could all just suddenly flip and suddenly switch in that right unsettled feeling so I'm willing to give the comics a benefit of doubt on some things just because I think it did other things so well, mm-hmm. which is not to say that they were thinking about that stuff when they wrote it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Like I would love to see more things in this genre. Also reading a horror comic is even harder. I think than watching a movie sometimes. Oh, Cause yes. you cannot close your eyes. Yep. Oh my God. Especially like on a Kindle, like they do that thing where you can like get a close up of each panel. And it's almost like a slideshow yes. and that shit. <laughs> yeah. show, I was like, see, I, I'm about to see some demon shit and I just don't, I just don't <laughs> want to, like, this is scary. Um, but you know, we just did something for, you know, did something new for a summer short series. Right. But, um, were there any last thoughts that you had about, about the text, Akko? No, I guess I just want to say, if you guys have thoughts that you want to share with us, um, if you think we missed something, if you think that our reading of this comic was wildly inaccurate, or <laughs> if you think Chris, Chris is his his daughter. Thank you. Okay, I got it now. Okay, I was like, Chris where is Chris is- coming from? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you think Chris's um, underst- deep understanding of Star Wars folk- folklore is ridiculous it makes no sense we want to hear about that too yes. and if you want to comment on it you know you can go to our twitter page at at these color pages at the color pages oh my god see there you go kids you can go to our twitter page at at the color pages our website these color pages.com or send us an email at these color pages at gmail.com and also really quickly um so we're trying to you know work on our website a little bit and so um, at the point of this recording, hopefully, we so with each of our <laughs> with each of our episodes, you know, before we actually sit down and record, um, you know, as we're reading the books and stuff, we both like take summaries of the books, um, and just kind of like jot down different things that happen, so that when we sit down and kind of like create the summary, it's a bit more seamless and it's not like oh my god, I have to like skim through everything again. And like personally, I be kicking just like reading our notes of the shit. Like we just like the the types of like shorthand and ways that we summarize things is just like really ridiculous. <laughs> and so like I think at this point in the, in the podcast, hopefully at this point, like if you go to our website, we'll have a little section that has like um, just all of our like little plot summaries for like each of the texts that we've read so far, um, or like mm-hmm. most of the texts that we've read thus far. And so you know, for example, if you want to see sort of like some of our written thoughts about the story and maybe like you know haven't listened to the full episode of the podcast yet or anything like that like that's kind of another way to kind of get a little bit of a plot summary kind of like a little spark notes section on our on our shit so yeah so enjoy that because again hopefully hopefully by this point (laughs) it'll be there so (laughs) yes but um anything anything else no i think um just until we see you next time remember to stay Stay colorful. colorful